Good morning, loved ones. I'm so happy that we have this time that we can share together. And I pray that wherever you are at this time, that our time spent together in God's word will be a blessing for you. If you're just joining us for the first time, my name is Charles. I'm a pastor of Hickory Rock Baptist Church here in Lewisburg, North Carolina. And it is my very sincere prayer that our time spent together in God's word will help you in your walk with Christ. Won't you join me in a word of prayer? And then we will jump into our text today from Acts chapter 2. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we love you and we thank you for your word and we thank you for Christ. And Father, I pray that during this time, you will give us open ears and open hearts, that we will be receptive to your word, that we will sit humbly under its authority, and that we will take it, Father, and hide it in our hearts that we might not sin against you. Father, I pray that through your Holy Spirit, you will empower us to be the people that you have redeemed us to be, and that you will help us to follow you more humbly, more faithfully, more joyfully, and more obediently. Lord, again, and we love you and we thank you for Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. So today, loved ones, we're going to finish Acts chapter 2. We're going to pick up in verse 37, and we're going to read through verse 47. And while you're turning there, I'm going to go ahead and set the stage for us and begin introducing what we're going to talk about. And I want to talk about for just a moment the idea, uh, the concept that we're all very familiar with, and that is the idea, the practice of an annual health physical. We go to the doctor and he or she will then take a look and examine our overall health. You might say they would pop the hood and take a look and see what's going on with us. And they'll examine us and see what state of health we are in. And then if this doctor is thorough during this time, this annual physical, the doctor will take a look at everything that's going on with us, and then they'll have a conversation with us about what we should be doing going forward. And in this conversation that our doctor has with us after our examination, some of what the doctor tells us is prescriptive, and some of it is descriptive. And for example, prescriptive here means that the doctor is giving us instructions, orders that are given to us under the doctor's authority, and we must follow these instructions to fix whatever might be ailing us. Whereas descriptive means that they might just describe our condition to us in different steps that we could take in order to improve it. For example, let me uh, kind of clarify this. Being put on a restricted diet or being put on medication would be prescriptive, but simply being told that your health will Will continue to decline if you do not change it is an example of description. Now, in the New Testament, we see a lot of similar situations. We come across passages that are prescriptive, that tell us things we should be doing. They show us how things ought to be. Uh, for example, the right kind of doctrine that we should hold to. But we also see passages in the New Testament that are descriptive. They capture for us uh, how things were at a moment in time, and this serves as a model for us to learn from. And what's interesting is that here in Acts chapter 2, we see a passage that is full of both prescription and description. We are taught how we are to be the church, and then we are given a glimpse of what the early church looked like. And in this text today, we'll see two things. We will see the prescription for salvation, and we'll also see a description of that prescription in action. And after we look at these two things, we're going to realize 
that it might be time for us to do a spiritual health evaluation, some Pentecost prognosis, so to speak, to see if we are doing what we have been called to do as the church. And so let's go ahead and look at the text. Let's pick up in verse 37, and we'll read through verse 47. It says this, When they heard this, the crowds were pierced to their hearts and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord God will call. Many, excuse me, with many other words, he testified and strongly urged them, saying, Be saved from this corrupt generation. So those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day 3,000 people were added to them. Verse 42. They devoted themselves, the church, to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. And every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. And so loved ones, you all remember when we looked last week at verses 14 through 36, we saw where Peter stepped up to explain to these amazed onlookers what was happening here on Pentecost. And as he preached this epic Pentecost sermon, Peter proclaimed Jesus to be the Savior that the Bible foretold. And he capped this incredible sermon off in verse 36 by saying, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And we see that this message had an immediate and powerful impact. Luke tells us that those listening, were uh, they heard this and that they were pierced to their hearts. And here we see the work of the Holy Spirit in a new way. We see the Spirit is opening the hearts of these individuals to the truth of the gospel. And so far here in Acts 2, we've seen the Holy Spirit work in a number of ways. We saw it first empower the uh, believers to glorify God in different languages. Then secondly, we saw it embolden Peter to preach and proclaim the gospel. And now we see that the Spirit is moving in this audience to help them feel conviction of their sins and the need to repent. And so the crowds ask the apostles, what must happen? What must they do to acknowledge that Jesus is Lord and Messiah and to be pardoned for killing him? We can't overlook what Peter says in verse 36. He says, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, whether or not these individuals were in the crowds that day at Passover who were crying for Jesus's blood, whether or not they were with them is beside the point. Peter is helping them to see that they are responsible for Jesus's death because they participated in and contributed to the sins that necessitated Jesus's death. And loved ones, the same is 
true for you and for me and for every other person who has ever lived. And to be pardoned for that sin and for any other sin, a person must repent and submit themselves to Christ. You see, in one way or another, Christ's blood is upon all of us, either because we have repented of our sins and we have been washed and cleansed by his blood, or because we are continuing in our sins and our rebellion against him. And because of that, we are guilty of killing the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so this is why, loved ones, it is so important, so imperative that we tell all people about the gospel message and the hope of Christ, because their lives are in the balance. And this is why Peter encourages the crowds in verse 40 to be saved from this corrupt generation. You see, each and every person of each and every generation must be confronted with the truth of their sin and the hope that can only be found in Christ. And this is precisely what the crowds were wrestling with on this day. They asked what they must do in light of all of this, in light of this conviction and the realization of their sins. How can they receive this hope and forgiveness? And the answer, loved ones, is so very simple. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus. It's a two-step prescription for the spiritual sickness of sin and death. And this prescription comes with a twofold promise, the forgiveness of sins and the receiving of the Holy Spirit. Repent, turn from your sinful, doomed ways. Be baptized. Pledge your life and your full allegiance. Be immersed into Christ's death. And you will receive forgiveness, pardon, mercy, cleansing of your sins. And you will be filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is a promise that is freely available and open to all. As Peter reminded us way back in Acts 2.21, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. This promise is available to this generation here, to our generation, and to all generations who will come. This is for all people at all places at all times. But loved ones, this is what we must remember. This is the only prescription for salvation. The answer is Christ, and it is Christ alone. And after communicating this to the crowds, Luke records for us the incredible scene that follows this sermon. We see that on this day of Pentecost, on this holiday that celebrates the completion of the first summer harvest, we see here an incredible first harvest for the church. 3,000 people were added to the church on that day. What an incredible increase. We would call that today a bumper crop. But loved ones, this is only the beginning of the incredible things that we will see the Holy Spirit do in Acts. And what is encouraging for us today is this. We could still see the Holy Spirit do such things around us today. Because the prescription that Peter relays to the crowds on this day is the very same prescription that the world needs today. And we should be left wondering and imagining how the Holy Spirit could work through us today in this place 
if we would simply submit to him and do his bidding. But now as we move on into the final verses of this chapter, into verses 42 through 47, we see that Luke gives us an incredible glimpse of the early church. This is the closest thing that we have to a snapshot of the early church as we can get. And what Luke gives us here is incredibly descriptive. He's painting a very vivid picture for us. But here's what's interesting, and here's why we need to pay very close attention to these verses. Much of this description is also prescription that we need to adhere to and follow. So as Luke is describing for us how the early church looked, the Holy Spirit is prescribing to us how the church should be. And I think as we go through these verses, we see seven things, seven characteristics of the early church. And what we need to understand is that these seven characteristics need to be evident in any church. And they need to be evident in our church today. The first thing we see is that the early church was devoted to the apostles' teachings. They were hungry to learn the scriptures and to grow in the knowledge of God. Second, we see that they were devoted to fellowship with one another. Third, they were devoted to the breaking of bread with each other. And this isn't talking about simply a regular meal with one another. This is referring specifically to the breaking of bread as in the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, the communion. Fourth, they were devoted to prayer. Fifth, they were filled with awe of what God was doing. They were amazed at the way God was working around them. Sixth, we see that they gave generously to those who were in need. Now, this is not a call for us today to sell all that we have and to give our uh, uh, goods to the poor. But this is a reminder to help us remember that we have been blessed with resources so that we can help those around us who are in need. And lastly, number seven, we see that the early church praised God. They worshiped and they worshiped excitedly, exuberantly, joyfully, both in the temple and in their individual homes. And as the result of this, the result of this Holy Spirit-infused living that the early church demonstrated was that God kept adding to their numbers daily. As the early church witnessed, as they shared the gospel with those around them, people outside of the church saw the different way in which these believers lived. And these non-believers saw something in the church that they wanted to be a part of. And so God brought them to the church. But we need to understand this thing. These outsiders, these non-believers, were not drawn by some magnetic force to the church. They weren't drawn like flies to a bug lamp to the early church. This growth did not happen magically, and it did not happen without a healthy amount of what we might call holy sweat. This growth came by, number one, the church living its witness out, and number two, the church doing the work of evangelism and discipleship that Christ called them to do, commanded them to do. This growth was the fruit of the church's obedience and submission to Christ. And again, this should make us wonder. 
We should be wondering to ourselves, what if? What if we did this? What if we lived our faith out in this way? What if we took these prescribed steps and implemented them? Now, of course, this is going to require some steps of faith on our part. It might require us doing some things that we have not tried before. It might require us stepping outside of our comfort zone and doing some things that, frankly, might frighten us. But let's think about this. If it was our physical health that was in danger, would we not be willing to try any and everything to become healthy again? And do we not understand that our spiritual health is infinitely more important than our physical health? So what do we have to lose? What do we have to lose from trying these things? And could it be that maybe our hesitancy to do these things, or maybe our unwillingness to let the Spirit move in us and around us, could that be what's holding back something from happening here? What could the Spirit do, loved ones, in this community, if we simply stepped out of its way and submitted to doing what He has commanded us to do? And so now, loved ones, as we've walked through this text for today, for the next couple of moments, I just want us to do a little bit of a thought experiment with each other. I want us to imagine, to picture ourselves in the waiting room at the doctor's office. We've gone in for a spiritual health evaluation. The nurse has just handed us that clipboard that is full of all kind of papers. And on these papers are questions and lists of symptoms and ailments that we might be experiencing, things that we want the doctor to talk about and discuss with us. Except what we need to remember here is that this is a spiritual health evaluation. So the symptoms and the ailments that are going to be discussed are spiritual in nature. And so we're sitting down, we're going through these clipboards, and we're reading everything that there is. We're going down the list, wondering if we've experienced this thing or that thing. We're wondering if what we have wrestled with is worth mentioning. And the whole time, we're second-guessing ourselves. But after what we've read today at the end of Acts chapter 2, we know that there might be some areas in our spiritual lives in which we need to course-correct. That there's some things that we need to fix, to work on, if we are going to experience the fullness of the joy of our salvation. And so the first thing we have to do is this. We have to look at ourselves as individual believers. We have to examine our individual spiritual lives. And the first question that we need to ask, uh, ask and answer is this. Do we feel secure in our salvation? Do we feel secure in our salvation? Do we believe that we have been saved? And if you check yes there, then you can go on to the next question and wait for me there. But if you've answered no to this, loved one, then we need to address this. And if you don't feel secure in your salvation, the question then is why? Why not? Have you been saved? If you've not been saved, then there is your answer right there. But if you have been saved, loved one, What's keeping you from believing it? What's keeping you from embracing the salvation that Christ wants to give you? 
Could it be that maybe you're trying to add other things to Christ to pad your bets, that you're not putting your whole hope and faith in Christ? I want you to remember what Peter tells us in this text. Repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And you will receive not only that, but the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord will call. Loved one, if you have heard God's call on your life, if you have repented of your sins and given your life to Christ, if you have submitted to Christ and been baptized in his name, then you are forgiven. You are saved. And the Spirit is within you. And this is a promise that God will not withdraw from you. You are his forevermore. Now believe it and live like it. Now, does this mean that things will be smooth sailing and perfect and easy from here on out? No. Does this mean that you will never sin again? Absolutely not. But does this mean that you have the comfort and the hope and the promise of forgiveness and redemption and the promise of Christ's presence with you now and forevermore? Absolutely. You better believe it. Now, that was the individual portion of our assessment. The next thing that we need to look at requires us to look at our health as a whole body, together as a community, as a church. And we saw in the text today what characterized the early church. We saw this description that serves as a prescription for how God wants his people to be. And so we must ask ourselves some questions. We saw that the early church was devoted to the apostles' teaching. Is the same true for us? Are we hungry to grow? And I mean here growing in wisdom, growing in the knowledge of the scriptures. The more we walk with Christ, the more we grow in faith, then the more we should hunger to learn from the scriptures. And if our appetite for the Bible is lacking, then loved ones, that might be a sign that there is some sickness that we need to address. Second, we saw that the early church was committed to fellowship. Is the same true for us? Are we committed to doing life together, to being involved in each other's lives, to being a community, to fellowshipping and partaking of the Lord's Supper together? Are we committed to praying together, to worshiping with each other outside of the 11 o'clock hour on Sunday morning? If we are hungry to grow in our faith, then we must be committed to growing together. But we need to understand that this cannot be accomplished if we only commit one hour a week to doing it. Third, the early church was filled with awe. Are we? Do we have a healthy wonder of what God is doing around us? Are we in awe of how he is working? And do we believe that he can continue to do more? Fourth, the early church was gracious and generous in their giving to help those in need. Are we? Are we generous in our giving? Do we believe that we have been blessed so that we can in turn bless others. And lastly, number five, we saw that the early church worshiped with joyful and sincere hearts. So the question for us is, do we 
get excited about worship? Are we excited to come to church? Do we look forward to it? Do we long for it? Does being together in the presence of the Lord lift us up? Does our worship inspire others to worship? Do we worship like we've really been saved? And we have to wonder and ask ourselves, how can we expect others to want what we have if we often don't look like we want it for ourselves. And I know that we often feel like we have to walk this fine line between joy and reverence, between being exuberant and entering his courts with thanksgiving and being reverent before God. But what we need to understand is this. It's a quite simple fact. Joyful worship is never irreverent, but loved ones, joyless worship is a sin. So let us not be guilty of that. If worshiping the God who gave his life for us isn't enough to inspire joy in us, then loved ones, something is wrong. And that's it. That's the assessment that we need to look at. These are the questions that we must answer as we look within and assess our spiritual health situation. And in this case, it becomes just like any other trip to the doctor's office. We have the prescription right in front of us. The question then becomes, do we follow the doctor's orders so that we can return to good health? Or do we disregard the prescription and do so at our own peril? And loved ones, I want to make one thing very clear here. The purpose of this sermon is not to beat us up. It's not to make us feel bad. The purpose of this sermon is to help us remember, to remind us of what we must be doing as God's people. From time to time, we got to go in for a checkup. We got to pop the hood. We got to take a look at what's going on. And we got to see where we might need to work and improve. Sometimes that requires us to ask tough questions. Sometimes that act requires that we take a look within when we'd rather not to examine ourselves, to see where it is, where we might need that extra work. So let us do that and let us take the Lord's prescription. Let us listen to him and let us see how he will then work in us and through us. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for Christ. And Father, we thank you for the prescription that you have indeed given us, both for salvation and for also how to be your church, how to be your people. Lord, would you open our eyes to help us see where we might need to work? Would you allow us, enable us, help us, Father, to submit to your Holy Spirit and to follow his guide? and to submit to him as he works in our hearts so that we might be a church that resembles the one we see here. Father, would you help us to be a people who are on fire to do your will? Would you help us to be more obedient? And Lord, would we be in awe and wonder of what you're doing around us? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.